0: The Start On Demand. demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC in for Brett McGarry. Welcome to The Start On Demand. We've got lots for you today. Thanks for spending some time with us either on the air from 6 till 10 or right here on the podcast where we consolidate all the best of The Start for you in one easy-to-listen-to package. Just press play, sit back, and we'll recap the top stories of the day. Let's get right down to business. Thank you, Tristan Field-Jones. This is weird to see human faces uh, amongst <laughs> myself here. This is odd being in this building. Tristan, nice to see
1: you. Well, nice nice to see you too, Greg. When, when was the last time you hosted in the studio? March
0: 12th of oh, wow. 2020. <laughs> I feel like I need to put the year in there because it feels like it's been more than a year since I've been here. I feel like a rookie today. Feels like a brand new experience. Well, what did you...
2: Say in your text this morning, you haven't really been here since, or there since winter, technically.
0: Technically, Mm -hmm. yeah, since winter, as we come up on the summer solstice, is that right, Tristan? Am I using the correct terminology?
1: Uh, Yes. Okay. Equinoxes for spring and autumn. Perfect.
0: Well, we'll get more of your weather prowess in about uh, 10 minutes' time. We'll talk about those incredible storms that happen in Calgary over the weekend. And the wind, Loren McNabb, joining us from... Minidosa this morning. The magic of technology continues to blow me away. We can do these uh, shows from just about anywhere.
2: Yeah, it's your place in the sun and I am literally looking at the sunrise this morning Uh, from Minidosa. I had to come out here for some family stuff this weekend and so I thought I'd give this stuff a whirl from Westman. You know how I like to say Westman. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get this tech Well, so far. So I'm actually sitting pretty much outside. I can hear the birds. I can hear the annoying whine of the mosquito, which I've, by the way, decided is the world's most annoying sound.
0: I think there's most uh, Manitobans would agree with that. Just the one that
2: you can't find. You know, that mosquito that's in your room or we were in the motor home last night and just, you can hear this whine and you don't know where it is. And then off in the corner, there's a fly trap behind a blind and you're just like,
0: <laughs> God help me. Let him out or kill it, please. One <laughs> or the other. Why so- can't that fly figure its way out, man? <laughs> so Tristan Field-Jones is in for Jeff Braun this week. As you may have ascertained or guessed by now, Brett McGarry is on holidays this week. Jeff Forche is behind the glass in Master Control. Loren is in Minidosa. I'm in the studio, and uh, I think that's all we need to let you know about at this point. But uh, let us know where you are this morning. Uh, came into the studio a lovely picture, and I can actually see the sun rising from where I'm sitting, uh, Lorraine. Uh, it's actually high in the sky now, but our friend Eve sent a beautiful picture at about 5.39 this morning of uh, Manitoba Sunrise.
2: I have to say... That as tired as you can be on a Monday morning, the fact that the sun is up early is a bonus.
0: I have to agree with you on that.
2: The middle of winter, getting up at this time, no good. But it's so much better when the sun is with you.
0: Yeah, no, I think it makes all the difference in the world. And Tim has done exactly the same thing. Tim might be in your neck of the woods, in fact, Loren. We know Tim drives truck and uh, heads west most mornings. So a lovely picture of the sunrise there and a a marsh. I don't know if you're looking at uh, Zip Whip Mm -hmm. this morning, but send us your pictures on this lovely morning. It's going to be a warm one today. It was a bizarre weekend in weather in Calgary, Alberta. As warm and lovely as it was here, Loren, the wind continues to be a factor. What is the deal with that?
2: It's actually gotten to the point where I've started Googling things like what is up with the wind because it feels excessive this summer or so far this year as we head into the summer rather. And uh, it feels like it's also one of those things now, instead of just talking about the weather, it feels like, you know, you go to the post office or your local coffee shop and someone's always like, what's up with that wind, eh? Like, it's the new it's the new thing we're talking about. It's replaced the cold of the winter. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if it's more unusual. I know I've read in years past that they're talking about the wind speeds actually picking up, you know, slowly and incrementally year over year. But it just feels like every day could be a warm one and then you factor in the wind and it's not really.
0: Well, we'll talk about that. As I mentioned, Tristan will come in. He'll slide into the studio in just a few minutes. He'll, he'll lend his weather expertise to our conversation. Uh, Hawk, dog count. I feel as though that is an important part of our Monday morning conversations uh, throughout the summer. Loren, what was your hot dog eating count over the weekend?
2: Just at one, sadly. What? Just one. That's yeah. a lame effort. It was. I mean, it was a delicious <laughs> one. But you texted me that this morning, and I thought, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you that my beautiful summer weekend included just one hot dog.
0: Well, mine my, mine was six. <laughs> What? I had two for supper on Friday. And then there were some uh, glorious Winnipeg Old Country sausage uh, wieners left over. So I had two for lunch on Saturday. And then we had a wiener roast <laughs> for supper last night and had two more Winnipeg Old Country sausage uh, hot dogs. So a grand total of six. Not
2: at once, though, right?
0: Oh, no, I spread them out nicely over the weekend. Yeah, Yeah. I I think I'm fine. Uh, What was your hot dog count? 204-780-6868. And uh, physical distancing. Uh, I was uh, amongst friends and relatives at a couple of different gatherings this weekend. How did things go for you? Obviously, you're in Minidosa. Uh, You're not there to uh, visit yourself. There's obviously uh, family involved. How have you handled the physical distancing and and how are you greeting one another
2: Uh, it depends on who it's with and who we're comfortable with to be honest you know we're making certain decisions depending if we're around a lot of people a lot. And and um, we're okay with being in closer quarters, so to speak. But you know, still, when we go out, we're doing our best to make sure we're in the stores and following all the rules correctly. And I, we took a drive up to Clear Lake yesterday, and lots of people were on the beach, but spaced out, you know, in their little groups of 10 or 15. And so I thought people were doing a pretty decent job. I, I do wonder what it'll be like if we still have to maintain the two meters when it's super hot out and everybody's packed into a park or beach Mm. how hard it will be to find your own little space of sand or shade. And so I think that will be the difference right now. We're still, you know, easing into the summer season and easing out of some of these restrictions so it'll it'll be different but we but we do want to talk a bit about this this morning because as we ease out of some of our restrictions we've had uh, an outbreak in china has people carefully watching what's going on there with their coronavirus and so we're going to talk more about that later in the show greg
0: yeah that uh, some disturbing numbers over out of china out of the united states as well Just afternoon yesterday, as I enjoyed a refreshment on my deck, I tweeted this. I will take the wind and glorious Manitoba sunshine. I love my time living in Calgary. I do not miss the summer hail blizzards. That was attached to some absolutely unreal video from Southern Alberta Saturday evening, Loren.
2: Yeah, it was pretty incredible stuff. In fact, it looked like a snowstorm was happening, but it was hail in some parts, hail the size of baseball in some parts. And as Global News's Adam Toy tells us, Calgarians are now in cleanup mode after this devastating storm ripped through southern Alberta Saturday.
0: Rain, wind and hail
3: battered Calgary Saturday evening. Calgary's northeast was especially hard hit as city streets turned into rivers of ice balls and yards gathered so much hail they looked like snowdrifts. And funnel clouds spotted south of Calgary near Tabor and southeast of Lethbridge. Motorists were caught on roadways including Deerfoot Trail, drivers
4: abandoning their vehicles
3: for higher ground.
4: Some lucky that they lived nearby. Then my vehicle hit it and then I had to park because it started smoking and then we had to run through, my daughter was with me and we had to run through the back alleys because there was less water. Right from my living room window, we could see, you know,
3: bigger than golf ball size hail and it came down like I've never experienced. And I've lived in Calgary
1: 30 years. Everything's destroyed, right? Lost two cars, siding on the house. Um, You know, it it sounds really silly, but put a lot of work into the kid's garden this year because of COVID.
0: vehicles were damaged beyond recognition. Homes had windows smashed and their siding destroyed. It was quite the weather event. Our own Tristan Field-Jones is a storm ch- chaser and self-described weather enthusiast joins us now. Good morning, TFJ. Hello again. So tell us, why does this part of Canada get uh, pelted with hailstorms on such a regular basis? This is genuinely part of life in southern Alberta.
1: Yeah, well and as you mentioned, Greg, when when you were living in Calgary, I mean, it's these types of or not this specific type of hailstorm, but hail in general is much more common. Honestly, it's everything to do with the elevation. Calgary's elevation and it varies throughout the city, of course, but their elevation officially is more than a kilometre, 1,045 Five meters. And to put that in perspective, Winnipeg's elevation is about 240 meters. Uh, Calgary is also one of the cities in the world, if I'm not mistaken, with more than a million people that has an elevation over a kilometer. And essentially what that does is, you know, without getting into too much of the science involved in storms, it basically means that the air that is required for convection for these storms to form has far less to travel in the atmosphere. And it also means that a lot of the... Uh, factors if you will that result in these very violent storms are lowered because of the higher elevation and you also have to look at the fact that there are disturbances off the mountains and you know it is still a prairie province for the most part and you know the prairies are no stranger to severe weather but at the end of the day really it comes down to elevation for especially that part of Alberta.
2: Well, we're going to get more from Calgary after 7, Tristan, and also the factor that tornadoes was part of the equation there over the weekend. Can we talk about the wind here in Manitoba? Uh, I know you follow Rob Zobs on Twitter, and he's a former meteorologist. He's saying it's been as windy as it's been since 2002. Is there any why to this, or do we just have to put up with it?
1: I, I think it's just a matter of putting up with it. What, what's kind of interesting, Loren, about the winds is that uh, they're really strong from the southeast, And generally speaking, our stronger winds are from the west because of the way the westerlies work. So it's been a bit unusual in terms of that. But some years, honestly, are just windier than others. And the fact is, Winnipeg is no stranger to winds from all directions. Really,
0: Tristan, you're a plethora of information on so many issues and topics. Thanks for sharing your weather expertise. Look forward to your newscast coming up at six thirty. I do what I can, Greg. Thanks, Thanks, TFJ. It's Mackling and McNabb. McGarry's back on Monday. We've got Tristan Field-Jones in for a vacationing Jeff Braun. Good morning, TFJ. Hello again. Kelly Moore is with us uh, from the home office slash studio. Good morning, Kelly Moore. Present. Present. Okay, good. I'm marking you down. That's good. No tardies this month so far. And, of course, our good friend Jeff Forche and Master Control, the master in Master Control, keeping us on task mostly and uh, staring at me because I'm already messing up the clock one hour into the week because nothing like that. We wanted to talk to you with uh, regard to that storm that hit southern Alberta. And, Loren, that's, you know, people in southern Manitoba are no stranger to severe weather, but... The amount of hail and wind and rain they saw in Calgary on Saturday night is something that would be unusual for this part of the world. And apparently for as common as it is in Calgary, it was uh, very uncommon, unprecedented. Boy, we're using that word an awful lot this year
2: yeah are we ever but you know what they saw there was it was the rain and it was the wind and then there was also this sustained tornado warning and they get those there but they they were in place for over 90 minutes in some parts like uh lethbridge and then as our weather specialist in calgary put it then all hell broke loose so she'll explain more after seven but they had 50 millimeters of rain tennis ball size hail uh, in some cases people described it being more like baseballs. so it was wicked wicked stuff greg
0: so Tristan, uh, you're a storm chaser, so I can only imagine some of the extreme weather you've experienced in your lifetime. You want to share something with us?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough decision to come to because I have chased quite a bit over the last decade or so. But uh, when I was part of the storm chasing uh, or thunderstorm course at the University of Manitoba, we made a week-long trip to the U.S. And the some of the... Uh, craziest storms we'd ever seen. We were near Topeka, Kansas, and we saw these storms that were, for lack of a better word, sculpted. It looked like they had been shaped into the form that they were. Just you could see in the clouds, it it almost it looked like waves almost breaking on the shore, and it was, the, the sky was like an olive green, and it... The, the the key to storm chasing is you try to avoid all the hail and that sort of stuff because you don't want your vehicle damaged. But for me, those were the most spectacular storms and, and lightning that was just nonstop, enough for you to take pictures at night. Wow! Even with our even with our crappy phone cameras back then.
0: Yeah, the, the but, uh, storms in the in the Midwest United States are absolutely phenomenal. I, mm-hmm. We could go on for a half an hour with that story, but we got to <laughs> yes. get Kelly and Loren and Jeff back in here. Hey, Kelly Moore, what about you? Some crazy weather that you maybe have experienced—winter, summer, spring, or fall?
5: Yeah, I'll keep mine short. Uh, but uh, certainly, it would be hard to uh, overlook uh, last Thanksgiving and that ice storm that. Uh, uh, hit uh, southern manitoba and especially the city of winnipeg uh, boy and and we're still uh going through the aftermath of that with the replanting of trees for all that was lost that's that's one of the more bizarre storms i've certainly
0: witnessed how about you forts you ever find yourself like you're driving and all of a sudden you know the storm hits oh yes oh well, yeah i was like i was driving out to uh winnipeg beach and it was winter i was doing a project for school and so I was driving up to Winnipeg Beach, and all of a sudden, it just started like blizzard-like conditions, and to the point where you have to pull over. And it was just—it was, you know—it's a white-knuckle driving, and I hate that. I hate that feeling. You must experience quite a bit of that uh, when you're storm chasing, Tristan.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm kind of curious to know there, Jeff. What time of year was this?
2: Well, uh, this
0: was—it was winter. Uh,
1: Would have been like November, December, because I just—I wonder if that was lake effect snow that you ran oh, into. Oh, very I, interesting point.
0: I couldn't—I couldn't remember. Okay. But,
1: but yes, Jeff is right. It is white knuckle driving, especially when you try and avoid the hail.
0: McNabb, I got to read this quick and then we'll throw to you. About eight years ago, Category 3 blizzard in Cambridge Bay, minus 67 degrees, zero oh. visibility. We had to go from building to building outside tied together with a rope in groups of seven. My stepdad used to work up on the dew line. So familiar with that. Uh, what about you, McNabb? craziest weather before we uh, enter uh, the uh, seven o'clock hour.
2: Well, I'll save my story for later because I want to throw out a question. Now I'm wondering what I hate more. I have a couple stories from the winter where the whiteouts made me nearly burst into tears because I was so worried about what to do. Do I pull over? There's no place to turn around. And then I've also gone through those intense rainstorms uh, coming from uh, the western part of Manitoba where you're driving and you can't see anything on the windshield either or hear anything. So I'm now just asking the question, what do you hate more? You know, what blinds you more, that intense rain? Or the or the whiteout.
0: Oh boy, that's a really good question. It's been a long time since I've been in this studio. I'm trying to find question of the day on cgop.com. I might need some help doing that. So uh, stand by, TFJ. I might be calling on your technical expertise to walk me through uh, some of the things Brett Negary does. Flawlessly this morning, okay.
1: I was gonna say again, because I think the first half hour of your shift was figuring out how do we log into the computer and how do we print. You you
0: did a very good job of coaxing coaxing me along. Thank you, sir. Happy to help. We'll see you at seven thirty. Tristan Field Jones in for vacationing. Jeff Braun, Greg Mackling, and Loren McNabb with you until Thursday. Loren, you're off on Friday and Monday of this week as musical Mm -hmm. chairs begins for the summer here on the start. My goal is to make
2: it as confusing as possible for you and Brett. So just I'm just going to dabble in Fridays and Mondays and odd Tuesday. Whatever maybe, works maybe, for you. Maybe a Wednesday once in a while.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep on top of that. We appreciate you uh, keeping on top of things with us. 204-780-6868 with your wild weather that you've experienced. Uh, Brad uh, said this one, uh, sent it into uh, our text line. Hey, Greg, in the early 90s, I worked construction in Whistler, BC in the spring 6 a.m long johns and coat 12 p.m rain gear 4 p.m 38 degrees celsius manitoba weather all in 12 hours no kidding four seasons worth there it sounds like
2: yeah, no, it can get wacky, and it's that time of year that you sort of love and you hate, right? You A lot of people like to see those thunderstorms, like to watch them, like to see the lightning, maybe even do a little of their own amateur storm chasing. But in Calgary, Greg, oh boy, uh, I don't know if you wanted to be out in that. That would have been painful in some circumstances.
0: Yeah, that's where we start this hour in Alberta. Major cleanup is underway in that province where a massive storm pummeled the region Saturday night.
2: Yeah, we saw thousands of homes and cars damaged. There was punishing winds, heavy rains. Some places hail the size of tennis balls, and it all came through in a matter of minutes. Jody Hughes is a weather specialist with Global News in Calgary, and she was covering the storm when it hit this weekend. Good morning, Jody. Good morning, guys. Describe how this all unfolded Saturday night. Was it quick? Did it come on as quick as it sounds?
4: That's exactly the case. You know, much of Alberta had been under a severe thunderstorm watch, and you know, anyone who is in territory for thunderstorms usually knows the difference between that watch and warning. So we were paying attention to it, you know, knowing the potential was there. But then all of a sudden, right around 6 20, uh, a severe thunderstorm warning was issued for the city of Calgary, and moments later, this incredible storm was already on top of us. It just popped south of Calgary and when it came through, it had such unbelievable intensity that within minutes we had our major roadway through Calgary, the highway, uh, Deerfoot Trail, flooded, vehicles were submerged. You know how hailstones can typically clog up storm drains when they're little. You know, we had nickel, the toony, looney, golf ball, you know, all the way up to tennis ball-sized hail like you were talking about. And so the drains just immediately got, got clogged. Plus, we had almost 50 millimeters of rain in an hour. So we had, you know, on the zero foot vehicles submerged. Meanwhile, we're getting reports of these huge hailstones and it was just pure chaos. And at the same time, because, you know, why have just one major chaotic situation on your hands? We had tornado warnings popping up south of Calgary because this is a huge chain of thunderstorms. And so uh, the tornado warnings were in place for almost well over an hour and a half. There's a possible three tornadoes that popped up out of it. it, it was just unreal.
0: Now, Jody in Manitoba, we think weather defines us to a great extent. At least to the rest <laughs> of the world, they, you know, they look at Manitoba and, and they believe what they know uh, about where we live, uh, just based on temperature and snow accumulation. But Calgary, I lived there for three years, has some truly wacky weather. I've experienced snow on Canada Day, twenty-three degrees mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve, and everything in between. I've been out and caught in a hailstorm and f- trying to find a plus five or as we call them in Winnipeg, a skywalk to hide underneath to, to protect the paint on our cars, that there was no getting around and getting out of this storm on Saturday night. It was absolutely crazy. Tell us about some of the the, the damage that you've seen, not only to vehicles. I think that's a given, but some of the other damage that's being seen is is out of sight.
4: Well, it's funny you'd say that because, you know, I'm a born and, and raised Calgarian, so I know hail damage on vehicles. But I was out yesterday morning in some of the communities that were hardest hit, and I realize this sounds so cliche, but I really have never seen damage like that uh, to vehicles where you have front windows, back windows smashed out. It just was peppered, their hoods, you had. Uh, side windows that were broken, bumpers that had been knocked off. One lady was telling me that she had her doorbell knocked off from a hailstone. And other people, and again, it, it sounds like it's an easy go to for a situation like this, but everybody described it the same way. It was like a war zone. It just hit so fast that if you were caught outside, you know, people ended up racing out of their vehicles running to their homes, and one gentleman described to me that he his family just prayed because your windows are smashing in. You've got flooding instantly happening under garage doors and uh, water pouring in from these broken windows. The The siding on some of these houses was unlike anything I've ever seen before, and house after house, you're, you know, you'd it, you, it looks bad, but then when you stop and take a look really closely, you see... They have their siding that has been shredded. Their fences, all you know, are just completely pockmarked. Chunks ripped out of fences. If they had any glass on a, a patio, that was also broken. Uh, it was. It's just it, you know, it's a, It's indescribable until you're standing there in front of it.
2: Yeah, and terrifying, you describing that family sort of uh, praying. I, I can imagine. I've seen some of the pictures, and it looks like bullet holes in the back of windshields, you know, because it's coming in so hard and so fast. And mm-hmm. It's my understanding, Jody, am I reading this wrong? Is there more bad weather on the way for you guys, or more watches and warnings in the forecast, or are you through this for at least a couple days?
4: Well, you know, we we could see some thunderstorms again coming up tomorrow and, and the next day. That's the thing. We are in that season where you can see thunderstorms and hailstorms and the potential for tornadic activity. And it's it's just one of those things that, I mean, you guys know, you get used to seeing a, a watch and you're expecting a thunderstorm. You just don't expect those ones to be, the, you know, to that severity. Even though you realize it's always a possibility any thunderstorm can take off and go in the wrong direction, uh, you know, you just don't really expect it like that. But yeah, we could see some more this week. Hopefully we get a break because those poor folks, I, you know, imagine having your entire house. You've got tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage for sure. You've lost a vehicle. You know, I just—it's just so much.
0: Jody Hughes, weather specialist with Global Calgary, joining us this morning on the start. Jody, stay safe, be well, and uh, and uh, send our best wishes to everyone affected out in southern Alberta. Great to speak with you.
4: Thanks so much, you guys.
0: And uh, just want to tell you about our question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. I found it, Loren. I found it on the CGOB website. Uh, it's brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. We'll let this one run for at least another hour or so at CGOB.com. Here's the question. Oh, I, have the, I have the answers, but I don't have the question. I got to back up here the question has to do with travel. You may not have to self-isolate upon entering Manitoba as part three of the phase three reopening plan. How does this affect your summer travel plans? We are asking more likely to venture to other provinces, still planning to stay put for a while or wanting to see how phase three goes. And more than 56%, almost 57% saying they will plan to stay put for a while at least. We start this half hour with, Finally, Loren, I can say this, finally, flashing amber lights will soon be set up in school zones across Winnipeg at next to no cost to taxpayers. Some four years after a man offered to supply the lights and set them up for free. Chuck Lewis, owner of Expert Electric, said his offer was originally rejected way back in 2017, but he kept asking until he got the attention of City Councillor Kevin Klein, he's the city councillor for Charleswood Tuxedo Westwood, who put forward the motion last year that would eventually work its way through city bureaucracy and resulted in Friday's announcement.
2: So this long-awaited agreement it would see Lewis and his team install two pairs of the solar-powered lights for each school and then take care of the maintenance for the following five years. Don't want to uh, pour any cold water on this because technically... Technically, the deal won't be finalized for at least another 30 days. The public sector has to go and report back with the final terms and conditions. But in theory, this should finally go through. And we're pleased to welcome back on the start, Chuck Lewis. Good morning, Chuck. Uh, good morning. Okay, so Chuck, you're the owner of Expert Electric. Four years ago, you came up with this idea and a plan to fund it. Uh, four years is a long time. How's it feel to know that you are pretty much at the finish line?
5: Yeah, it feels good. First, I want to say thanks to CGOB for actually putting it on the airwaves and really pushing it. And I also want to say thanks to the citizens of Winnipeg for voicing their opinion to actually get it pushed through. Because without them, it would never have happened, right?
0: Well, we're happy to, to bring attention to citizens like yourself who want to make a difference, Chuck. And so I applaud you for that. But the perseverance here, I think, is exemplary. I don't know if I would have had the wherewithal, the patience to, to do what you did and to see this through the way you have. Why did you do this in the first place?
5: Like, I've seen the effects of uh, of children getting hit in a school zone four years ago. I've seen uh, two kids get drugged down the street, so a little more personal for me. And also, like every city I've ever went to, they've always had these beacons. And So, Winnipeg's one of the last cities that don't have them, so it's really good that the city of Winnipeg actually uh, stepped forward and said, yeah, let's get this going.
2: So it took a lot of people and a lot of people talking and pushing back to say, let's get this going. Uh, At one point, I think it was a year ago, Chuck, you know, the question was about, well, okay, you might help pay for the signs, but then would there be added maintenance or upkeep or changes that might be needed along the way and who would cover the cost of those? Was that sorted out in the end?
5: Yeah, what we did is we came to an agreement that I would supply the two initial beacons for every school zone. And if there was more needed, the city would supply the rest. Um, because every city has their own different bylaws on how many beacons are required at a school. Some cities is just two. Some cities is four. It all depends on how they want to uh, address it, right? So in, like as long as we can get two up, it's going to save lives. Like, you know, if they put more, it's going to save, you know, more. But like in the real world, let's get it started and, and make those schools own safe, right?
0: So, Chuck, how is this going to roll out? Because you tested one of these units in Westwood for a few days earlier. Uh, I guess was it this spring already? I don't know, the year or was it late last year? I can't even remember when you did that.
5: Yeah, well, we tested it just for a day just to show that, but like the, the city actually tested it for a month right during that giant uh, giant snowstorm uh, that we had that knocked the city down and that they worked flawlessly through the snowstorm. Oh. So after the month testing, they found that there's no flaws with them, so they actually approved them for that. So the next phase, they're going to set them up at a school zone. They're going to run them for three months. And uh, basically, well, they're not really, but three months, I think, is the test site. Um, and hopefully by this fall, we can start rolling out school by school.
2: If they have to do three months for the test site, Chuck, do we know that are we looking at maybe a July for that phase and maybe some point in the fall? You mentioned it would roll out this fall, but it sounds like there's a few hurdles to cross yet.
5: Well, no, it's, it's, it's pretty positive. Like, I've talked to the city fair a bit, and we went, went back and forth. It's a pretty positive thing. I think they're just going through the preliminary steps that they have to, right? But um, I, don't, I don't see any real hiccups. I can totally see them coming out by fall. Like, I'm hoping we can start rolling them out in September, October, November type
0: so, Chuck, uh, any advice for individuals who, uh, you know, this isn't exactly fighting City Hall. You were trying to do something uh, to, to help the community, but the, there was a fight involved. Any advice for folks that are thinking about either tackling a project with this in partnership with the city or, or people who want to work with the city council to get something done?
5: Well, I think the biggest thing is, let's face it, we're all trying to make Winnipeg better. Safer and like a, a great place to be, and it is a great place to be. So, if everybody in Winnipeg does their part to make the city a great place, then uh, I really don't see the city of Winnipeg councillors and all that ever uh fighting it that much. But they like they have their own concerns, safety, and you know, what I mean, like let's face it, there's a lot of uh things that go behind the scenes that you know have to be taken into consideration. But I think as long as you put together a good plan and and uh, actually execute it properly, like you might have to persevere for a while, but uh, it will probably come to
2: well you're a good example of don't quit chuck because you didn't quit and here we are
5: yeah like you know it's like the beacons are one thing but we're also going to be rolling out a safety program in the schools class by class as we give each school a, a set of beacons and then we'll have like um a safety contest and the winner of that contest for that class class will get pizza for the day and then we're going to put those safety uh, suggestions from the students together and give them back to the school division like whether it's playground safety whatever but because uh, the whole intent is to have a, a safety course that they know that they just can't run on the street just because there's beacons there right they have to have eye contact with the person that's stopped to take their earbuds out put their phone away uh crossing between cars there's a whole lot of things that, about safety that should be taught before it's just a it's a blanket thing
2: well thanks for what you do thanks for what's going to happen and hopefully we'll see these signs soon chuck lewis owner of expert electric thanks again
5: thanks guys
0: yeah, it's always great when uh, individuals step up to help the community at large. Uh, big fan of what Chuck has done here, not to mention the safety for our kids and, you know, the idea now that if they actually put a photo radar vehicle in those school zones, Loren, uh, you have one less to, less excuse for not slowing down. Yes.
2: <laughs> I was taking a sip of water there. I, was I thought was I into you were throwing to commercial. I was uh, like, I got to keep, I am uh, mid-drink here. But yes, no. I mean, honestly, you, you're going to run out of excuses, right? With yes. the flashing, the warnings, uh, everybody moving a little bit slower. You, you will no longer be able to say, I didn't know this was there.
0: I'm going to put that in my repertoire now. Just yes. And, and then that's it. <laughs> Silence.
2: it my ringtone. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. June is Brain Injury Awareness Month in Canada, and for many who suffer a brain injury, their struggles in life may not be apparent at first. Quite often, those who suffer brain injury of all severities suffer in silence. We deal with friends and family who may not understand why our personality has changed, why our temper is the way it is, why our ability to complete otherwise menial tasks is compromised. Now I speak in the first person because 20 years ago this month I suffered a frontal lobe brain injury which changed the entire course of my life, Loren.
2: And there's so many people like you, Greg, whose stories we don't even learn sometimes. And so we want to hear a bit more about that. Gladys Harabi is the Executive Director of Manitoba Brain Injury Association of Manitoba and she joins us now. Good morning, Gladys. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. Well, thanks for taking the time to share a bit more about this because, as I just said, I think this is an injury that happens to a whole lot of people that we maybe don't talk about. And I'm curious, how common is a brain injury uh, for the average Manitoban or Canadian? Yeah,
6: so it's very common and it's very prevalent. It's actually, according to the Brain Injury uh, uh, Brain Injury Canada, 452 Canadians suffer a serious brain injury every day. So if you think about that, that actually amounts to nearly one person every three minutes. And it doesn't even include those who have concussions, military injuries or unreported cases.
0: Our awareness of concussion in particular, I think, has grown yeah. greatly, Gladys, over the last yeah. decade in particular. And I can certainly say in my experience over the last 20 mm-hmm. years, the understanding of the effect of brain injury is, uh, is understood a lot better. But, of course, the brain is still such a, a mystery. Can you just give us an idea of the spectrum of brain injuries uh, that people suffer and, and the effect on their lives?
6: Yeah, definitely. So the thing with a brain injury is that uh, the acquired brain injury is kind of like um, the umbrella term for it. So it encompasses everything that falls under a injury to the brain that happens after birth. So it could be from a non-traumatic case, which includes brain aneurysm, a stroke, a brain hemorrhage, brain tumors, or it could be in the other end of the spectrum, which is a traumatic brain injury from car crashes, Concussion, concussions and sports-related injury. So the, the broad, any damage to the brain that occurs after birth, it is very broad, and people can, can man, manifest different symptoms of it, and it is a unique combination of cognitive, behavioral, and social deficits that may or may not be very visible to, to, your, to the naked eye, which is why it's difficult to actually have it diagnosed, and it's difficult to have it to see someone with a brain injury.
2: Does that mean, Gladys, we have people that may have been, you know, gone their entire life to date without knowing that something may have happened to them when they were young, a brain injury, for example, and that might explain some of the different uh, behavior or cognitive issues they might have, but they just didn't know?
6: Exactly, because concu- the research on concussion was not really that prevalent until la- the last 10 years. So we, we, even have, um, we even have members that come to our office who actually have had multiple concussions in the past, but then they had a recent concussion that just knocked them out and that eventually they just and then they realized that they have a lot of history of multiple concussions that were not diagnosed. And they all of these things that they have been living with and were misdiagnosed with something else could have been could have been a brain injury that was not known before.
0: Uh, Gladys, I think there was a misconception for a long, long time that unless yeah. you were knocked out, knocked unconscious, uh, a, a concussion wasn't all that severe that you were dealing with a mild concussion. And of course, there are varying degrees of concussion and they affect different People differently; they seem to mm-hmm. have a different effect on just about every single brain. So there's no real uh, one way to treat uh, a concussion. It's a highly personalized thing, uh, based on on my experience, and, and certainly based on the readings and and the education I've tried to give in myself over the last two decades. But I went 18 months without my brain injury being diagnosed, and maybe just talk about some of the frustration of getting a brain injury diagnosed and, and what happens in the meantime for, for those of us that, that walk that path?
6: Yeah. The, the thing with that is because when we think about brain injury, we always think that there could be something that there should be a medical evidence that shows it, right? So when you get a concussion, you go to the ER, then they will have to send you the CT scan or MRI scan. But more, more often than not, when you go for a concussion, there's, not, no, there's no bruising. It's not going to show in an MRI scan. So if it doesn't show an MRI scan, it doesn't mean to say that there's no concussion at all. Because too, after you are at home and still have all the puking, you have this vertigo, you have this headache that's not going away, then there's probably a concussion that happened. And, and a lot of times we just have to chuck it as maybe it's just it's just me and I'm not, I'm not I'm not just. And then you're going to realize that you're not feeling well at all. So a lot of times people are so. They have all this stuff reported symptoms, but there is no medical evidence that shows because it's not showing up in MRI. And the more, and if we can we'll always think of it as that if there's no, if it's not showing MRI, there's no concussion, then there's always going to be a lot of people who are going to have concussion and be frustrated and not going to get the services. Because the first thing for you to get a service is for you to get diagnosis. And without diagnosis, there's no services. So you would be living with all the symptoms without any intervention, without any treatment because you were not referred to someone who would be able to treat you
2: so awareness is a part of the equation here Gladys, exactly, which yeah. is why we're talking today right you need to have yeah. not just uh doctors and people within the medical profession you know have a greater acknowledgement of this but people advocating for themselves you might have to go in and really fight to push to say i think it might have something to do with my brain let's try to take a closer look at that
6: definitely and that's what we're here for as an organization because we often get um we often get brain injury survivors who have been to their doctors who were not listened to, who were denied all the referrals because for for the doctors and the physicians, there's always this, you're going to have to put them in a peg, like going to peg in a square, right? Like all brain injuries are all different. So brain injuries are like snowflakes. Not one is the same. So if you have all this notion about brain injury having to be knocked out or a brain injury has to become unconscious for you to have a brain injury when you had a concussion, then that's there's a lot of this population who had a brain injury will not be diagnosed because they were not believed that they have a brain injury. So a lot of times we do a lot of awareness, awareness that brain injury can happen to anyone, anytime and anywhere. It can be in many different ways and many different causes.
0: Gladys, thank you so much for this. Thanks for the work you thank do you. at MBIA. It's uh, always a pleasure to get some time with you.
6: Thank you so much.
0: Brain Injury Awareness Month, June. Check out MBIA on their various platforms, online, mbia.ca. Loren, this is uh, something, obviously, uh, a very important conversation because, uh, let me tell you, a lot of people had no idea what was going on with me, including myself, and like Gladys said, you start to question who you are when there's no clear diagnosis of your problem.
2: Right. And when you consider that a brain injury can already lead to uh, different changing emotions, right, and how you're already feeling, and then you throw in that frustration of not knowing what's wrong with you, and also maybe not having someone listen when you say something wrong as you, I can only imagine. So thanks for sharing your story, Greg, as always, and, and thanks to Gladys. It's good to get this, this info out there.
0: RCMP tell us that uh, one person is dead and one is missing after officers were called to the scene of a search and rescue on Lake Winnipeg Saturday afternoon. RCMP, RCMP, pardon me, say they were called to the area around 4.35 p.m. for the report of an overturned boat near Bel Air on Lake Winnipeg. Police say five people were fishing off the boat when it took on water and capsized, Loren
2: a 37-year-old man, 48-year-old man, and 65-year-old. They were all rescued and taken to hospital. But we have since learned that 73-year-old Hamza Ali of Winnipeg lost his life and that it's his 42-year-old son who's still missing. Nur Ali came to Winnipeg in 2012 and since then has helped many newcomers settle into the city as a prominent member of the Kurdish Syrian community. Jennifer Chan is a dear friend of Nur Ali and joins us now. Good morning, Jennifer.
0: Sorry, Jennifer. I, Jennifer, I, are you there? Yeah, she's she's uh, here yeah. now. Sorry, Jennifer, that was my fault. Go ahead, Loren.
2: Hi, good morning. Well, Jennifer, thanks for taking the time. I I know it's hard to speak about someone, especially in these circumstances. And and we just last chatted with you a few weeks ago about this mm-hmm. outstanding initiative that you've undertaken, driven by restaurant owners to help feed frontline workers. Knowing what we've since heard about Noor and how how giving he was to this community, was just out of curiosity, was he involved in this project, Our Kitchens to Our Heroes? Yes, he did. Um, I'm still in shock um, with
7: this news. Um, during the pandemic, when I asked Noah if he would like to join food delivery to health care workers, without hesitation or any question, he said, Jen, count me in. And then he mobilized the Kurdish and Syrian communities to join. So he was that kind of person that when someone needed him, he would just go and start helping.
0: Now, that's just a most recent example of kindness and his advocacy in the Syrian and the Kurdish community. Tell us a little bit more about the work that he did on that front, if you wouldn't mind, please, Jennifer.
4: Mm-hmm. I think
7: everyone who knows Noah is praying for him since that day night. Um, he was a man with a warm heart and helping hands. He was always there to, he was always willing to lend a hand to whoever needs help. He was always there for the community. And not only for the Kurdish and Syrian community, but everyone. I mean, every community. And that's why we're all praying for him. Um, I remember he always... mm -hmm.
2: No, go ahead, Jennifer, please. I remember he always said
7: that he was very grateful that Canada accepted him and his family and the whole community. So every year he led the community to celebrate Canada Day. To express thanks and gratitude to the country that granted them the right to belong and to live. So, I think it- at this point we we are all hoping to find him soon to bring closure to the family, and he will be deeply missed.
2: Uh, Jennifer, it's hard not to imagine and. and- You've, you're speaking of him in the past tense because we all know as the hours go on, as the as the nights tick by, uh, the odds change greatly for the outcome here and the possibility of finding Newer alive. The, the man he was uh, and has been known and remembered by by all his friends is perhaps why we saw so many friends out on the shorelines yesterday in hopes of finding him. Do we know what he and his... Um, father and their friends were, were doing out there? Was it their first outing, or had they been out on the boat several times before? Can you tell a little bit about the day they were hoping to have? Uh, I'm,
7: I'm not sure if this was their first time to go out to the lake. I think they might uh, have went there before. Um, and uh, uh, over the weekend, uh, many, many committee members went to the lake to try to help with the search and to provide support to the family. Um, Loa's wife and I are friends, too, and I was so worried about her. She's strong, but, you know, it is hard at this time, uh, and also to the family. Noah's uh, sisters, they're trying to be strong, but we're all trying to <clears throat> provide support to them.
0: Jennifer thank you for sharing uh your your thoughts and and your experiences noir or with noir we we wish his family and you nothing but the best here and we're we're gonna remain hopeful for for a happy ending to this story if that's okay
4: yes
7: thank you so much and uh going forward um every time when I think that when we celebrate any events Noir will not be there and I think any celebration will not be would would not be the same without him and i I miss him so much, and we all miss him, and he will be deeply missed. Thank you so much for letting me share.
0: Thank you very much, Tristan. An on-air thank you as well for doing some technical assistance on the question of the day, which has been updated at cjob.com. I appreciate it very much. No worries. You're just such a team player. I, I do what I can. I've heard these stories over the years about you not being a team player, and I just don't see it.
1: Well, what is it What is it that they say? The um, uh, rumors surrounding my death have been greatly exaggerated.
0: <laughs> I would concur with that. Thanks, TFJ. Okay. We'll see you at 10 o'clock. Hey, what's going on in the uh, behind the glass here? you got to see this scene, McNabb. Uh, uh, Tucker is in the house. I know he comes to see uh, Brett every day. Now, Jeff, you always look happy. You've never looked happier than you do at the moment. He's so cute. He is. He's adorable. Our own Diana Forsberg walking around doing her rounds this morning, doing her work uh, with Tucker in tow. Such a delight. Such a great addition to the day. Any dogs where you are this morning, McNabb?
2: Oh yeah, I've got a Boston Terrier where I am this morning. Um, it has—it's a, it's a uh, dog that belongs to uh, members of our family, and uh, he's been wandering in and out of my little office this morning. And it has my kids begging me, begging me, for a Boston Terrier of their own. So,
0: <laughs> does does this, this dog have a name? Are you able to Maya. share it with us? Oh, Maya. Okay, she's
2: beautiful. She's a pretty rare too as i understand because she's white with black spots as opposed to the usual black with white spots for boston terriers and so yeah she's a little cutie i've uh challenged my kids to prove it to me that they deserve a dog and they're mm. pretty darn close so
0: oh we'll see could have a new addition in the mcnab family looking forward to that hey i referenced that question of the day it's brought to you by Mr. Furnace, don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Just updated now by the one and only Tristan Field-Jones. A new survey says just 36% of Canadians are staying away from public spaces. We're asking a very simple question. I don't know the last time we asked one this plain and simple. Loren, are you concerned that you will contract COVID-19? Yes or no? Go to cgob.com. Question of the day every single day at least twice usually
2: good question we've been talking about that this morning because of course we've seen uh, different reports showing some complacency out there maybe fatigue might be a better word in terms of how people are feeling when it comes to covid so we want to know what they're thinking with that we've also asked lots of questions this morning about storms and wind and the impact we're, that's having on a multitude of fronts uh Greg, and
0: we want to talk this morning about some overnight fires. Yeah, Winnipeg Fire and Paramedic Service reporting uh, several fires overnight. In fact, I saw uh, Fire Paramedic Service on the scene on Disraeli Street, just off the Disraeli Freeway this morning. Ihor Holichinsky joins us now. He's the Assistant Chief for the WFPS. Uh, Good morning, Ihor. Good morning. So uh, Good morning. An, another a busy night for WFPS, including this uh, house fire on Disraeli Street. What Can you tell us? It sounds as though this was uh, not your regular call.
3: Um, well, very few are regular, but this one in particular could have been tragic, but uh, fortunately uh, no one was hurt at this fire. It uh, came in at approximately 3.36 a.m. Uh, with a... Uh, a uh, host well involved, and fortunately the five occupants were able to uh, self-evacuate before uh, arrival of the crews.
2: So, Ihor, we had reports of a fire in Agnes Street last night. People were able to self-evacuate. A fire on Harbison, no injuries reported. People were able to get out. Um, the Alfred fire that we saw, it, apparently there was nobody in the home. But with this Israeli one you just mentioned, people were able to get out safely. You know, we, we're told all the time to have an escape plan, and then there's one thing having it and another thing putting it into action. And I and I believe I heard that these folks were able to either get out through the window and onto the roof. Can you tell me a bit more about how they were able to get out and and where they were when fire crews arrived?
3: Yeah, I'm just gonna back up to to an important point you made about preparing for these types of events and, and having a plan and communicating with your family and knowing what to do and, and you know, plan for for multiple options. You can't always say you're gonna go out the front door or the back door. And in this case it does sound like they went through the window. I, I can't confirm, to be honest with you. Uh we're still compiling reports and it's uh it just happened uh, you know, this morning. So but they did go through a window, and fortunately, no injuries so that's 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 a good news story
0: ehor it, it it feels as though we're hearing about more fires and and I think Loren, you touched on this earlier this morning. It felt as though and it feels as though we've been warned that Winnipeg has quote unquote a fire season. We're used to forest fire season in rural and and you know northern parts of Manitoba in particular. Do we have fire season here in the city of Winnipeg ehor? Uh, no, I'd be
3: it'd be a stretch to say we have a particular fire season. You, you did allude to, say, forest fire. We would have a grass fire season, which this year was, uh, you know, mitigated by cool weather and, and some rain at the right time. So we didn't really have a lot of problems with that. But uh, if we're talking structure fires, you know, these can occur and do occur any time of the year. They're, and sometimes they happen in patches and there are long stretches between them. But um, the important thing to remember, and, and on one of these, apparently there's, a, you know, wasn't the best disposal of smoking material. And that's something that everyone can really control uh, on their own to prevent uh, these types of uh, fires from happening is make sure you've disposed of your smoking material in the best uh, manner possible in a proper container.
2: Yeah, I think that's a reference to both the Israeli street fire and potentially the uh the fire on Harbison both are believed to have been caused by the careless disposal of a cigarette butt, and that's one that we hear all the time, Ihor, when it comes to just uh, being aware of how that little that little flame yep. can spark and, and take down your entire home. I'm curious. We have also been talking this morning just about the wind and how windy it's been in recent days and weeks in Winnipeg. Has that posed a challenge to crews when they arrive on scene, with the wind causing things to shift so quickly?
3: yes it certainly does uh you know it it can impact neighboring homes so quickly and then it's a uh a prioritization by the incident commander on scene and the crews on scene of you know making sure that the fire doesn't spread so we look to confine and protect exposures with uh strong winds like that it makes that job a lot more difficult and uh and we have to uh up our reaction time to protect uninvolved homes
0: Ihor Holochinski is the assistant uh, chief with the double Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. And before we let you go, Eeyore, uh fire tables and backyard uh, fire pits have become increasingly popular in our city. Uh, it's not just for the lake anymore. Any advice for us on, on how those should be properly operated or, or perhaps uh, when you shouldn't be operating them at all?
3: Sure. Uh, you know, particularly, with particular, you know, it's common sense. On uh, a very, very windy day, maybe the best of, uh, of plans would be to not have that fire. On a, on a nice evening, we all enjoy, you know, maybe perhaps you could roast some marshmallows with the kids if that's what you want to do. But please be sure that you followed all the guidelines, that the, uh, the fire pit is well away from combustible uh, materials. You're only burning clean wood, and you've got the spark arrestor on top. Uh, you know that would goes a long way into keeping everyone safe.
0: Ihor, thank you for this, and uh, thank you for the uh, the bravery and the work of uh, all your members at the WFPDS.
3: Thanks, thanks very much for allowing me this uh, this time to pass on the messages. Thank you.